right, well, welcome back, everyone, to the Missio Podcast. I'm excited to continue our series, Encounters with Jesus, today. We are reading a story that I think is fairly familiar to a lot of people. It's the wedding at Cana, or it's the miracle that Jesus has, his first miracle, in, in fact, of turning water into wine. is from John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And so I just want to start by reading this passage for you guys. And then we'll dig in because there's a lot of really fun things that are taking place in this passage. All right, so John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, Jesus, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Uh, That's a fun little statement that he has. Verse 5, but his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. I love how she just basically ignores him. All right, verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. This is the word of God from John chapter 2. And again, so... I'm excited to be talking about this encounter as we're, that we're looking at today. This is an encounter that is kind of strange, though, because it is a subtle, it's a subtle, almost unknown encounter. And it happens with this host of people, right? So, Jesus' mother is there, his disciples, the bride and the groom, and the entire wedding party are there. The wedding at Cana is actually generally seen as Jesus' first miracle. In the Gospel of John, it's structured around these seven miraculous wonders of Jesus. Jesus obviously did more than seven miracles in his life, but John decided to structure his entire gospel around seven important moments and miracles that reveal Jesus as this divine person sent to humanity to redeem and save and provide a better way for everyone. And so this first of seven miracles that John shares is this moment at the wedding in Cana that we just read. And there is a lot of speculation as to whose wedding it was. You know, who's getting married? You know, a lot of people believe it was a distant family member of Mary or Jesus' Jesus' mother because Jesus and Mary and the disciples are invited. And I don't really know if there's a good way to fully know who is getting married and how they are related or not related to Jesus. Especially because at this time, weddings were much more communal events than they are today. So again, towns were 
obviously much smaller 2,000 years ago in Israel than they are today. And so when someone in the town was getting married, it would have been known. And a great deal of the town would have been invited. They would have shown up to celebrate. And so these Jewish weddings were actually steeped in tons of tradition and ritual. Most weddings actually lasted between seven and or sorry, three and seven days. And one of the customs and traditions was providing an extravagant feast for all of the guests who were present. And so the groom was actually responsible for providing and paying for all of the food and the wine and anything else that was involved in the wedding. And there was this high expectation um, on this groom to ensure that he would provide enough for the whole week for everyone who was there. So to run out of food or wine or whatever would have been seen as this great humiliation for the groom and his new bride. I was actually reading that to run out of supplies could potentially have left the groom open to a lawsuit from the bride's family for not supplying enough. I mean, that's a great way to start a marriage, right? Of combining families. Okay, maybe not. And yet this is the very thing that happens at this wedding. The wine has run out. There's no more wine at this wedding. Now, I think in today's world, it is very different if something runs out at a party, right? What do we do if something runs out? We just send Uncle Joe or whoever it is to run to the grocery store or wherever to pick up the things that are needed. But this is not the way that the ancient world worked. There wasn't a total wine and more or BevMo that people could just run to to get more wine. This would have been seen as an egregious error and miscalculation on the groom's part that would have brought dishonor on him and this newly formed marriage. And so Jesus' mother, who seems to be involved in the wedding festivities in some you know official capacity, at least it looks like, runs to Jesus and is like, hey, <laughs> look, Jesus, there's no more wine. No one has noticed yet, which is good but we have to do something before they do notice. Okay, I love this moment. So again, most people believe that since this was the first recorded miracle, and you didn't see the air quotes that I used with my hands at that moment, the first recorded miracle of Jesus, he hadn't done anything miraculous before this. This is what people think. And so people think then Mary was more asking Jesus to just help troubleshoot the problem. Which, you know, I think is a fine understanding. Honestly, we don't know very much about this. However, I'm not convinced that Mary didn't know before this moment that her son was capable of doing huge, miraculous things. Why do I think that? Because an angel shows up before Jesus is born and tells Mary, hey, you're going to have the Son of God. So I'm pretty sure that Mary knew that the Son of God was special and may have been able to help in this situation. So whether Jesus had done anything, hadn't done anything miraculous before this or not, would not necessarily have caused Mary to think Jesus could do something or couldn't do something in this moment. And honestly, it doesn't really play a factor in what is taking place because Mary knew that Jesus was God's son and he could therefore do something. She may not have known what it was, but she trusted that he was able to do something. So she says, 
hey, Jesus, we've got to do something in this moment. And there's pushback from Jesus because he says, look, my time has not yet come. See, Jesus knew that his ministry time would come where he would begin his this three-year journey toward the cross, but it wasn't supposed to begin in this moment at a wedding in Cana. So I love how Jesus is look, like, look, it's, it's not my time. I, I, it's not right for me to start right now. <laughs> and then his mom's like, yeah, okay. Hey, guys, do whatever Jesus says. And I think this is really important. This isn't just simply Mary ignoring Jesus. It kind of is, but it's not fully that. Mary understood the shame that would have been brought on this newly married couple if they didn't figure out the wine situation before people found out that there was none left. And Jesus tells her, look, it's not the right time, but she ignores that and basically says, we still have to do something. You know, I was thinking a lot about this. There are moments when we believe the timing isn't right for whatever it is. And we feel that because we aren't ready. We're not ready. We're not ready to step into whatever it is that is in front of us. And yet the problem still dangles there in front of us. You know, Missio's birthday is this coming week on May 1st. And I was thinking about sitting in our living room on Corliss Avenue long before we launched as a church. And we were discussing whether or not we should start Sunday worship gatherings. And we looked around the room. There was like nine or 11 of us. I can't really remember. And I remember all of us thinking, man, we are not ready for this. <laughs> There's only 11 of us. How, how, how are we going to do this? And yet still, we all believed, if not now, then when, when, when will we do this? See, Jesus is saying, not yet. And I feel like his mother in this moment is like, okay, Jesus, if not now, then when? And Jesus decides, okay, let's get started. And so he has these helpers grab these six water jars, and these would have been these huge stone ceremonial water jars. Each one would have held roughly 27 gallons. I mean, come on, these are huge. And so altogether, we're talking about 160 gallons. This wasn't some simple request that Jesus made of these guys. They would have had to carry these 27-gallon stone jars down to wherever water was drawn, fill them up, then bring them back, fill to the brim. And I don't know if you guys have ever carried a stone water jar before that is 27 gallons large, but I imagine it's heavy without water. And then you put 27 gallons of water in it, those things are fairly heavy. And so... I, I imagine that this would have probably taken several hours to fill. And I imagine Mary, Mary is probably panicking in this moment, hoping that no one decides that they need more wine and find out that there isn't any more wine. She's probably thinking, Jesus, <laughs> I asked you to help. What are you up to? We don't need water. We need wine. And so these jars, they finally get filled after who knows how long. And they brought up and Jesus takes a cup and he fills it up and he gives it to the servant. And he tells the servant to go give it to the master of ceremonies. And the master of ceremonies would have basically been like the head server who was in charge of the logistics of food and wine supplies, whatever it is, all these things. And so the master of ceremonies tastes this wine and realizes this is the best wine that he has tasted in a very long time. 
and this is very this and then this very important interaction happens between him and the groom. And so he goes up to the broom, he take the groom, not the broom, that would be weird. He takes the groom aside and he says, "Look, most hosts and again, remember, the groom was in charge of providing everything. So he would have been considered the host of the entire 7-day wedding." And so the groom, the master of ceremonies takes the groom aside and he says, "Look, most people serve the best wine first. And then they serve the cheaper watered down stuff after everyone has drank enough throughout the week and they don't even know the difference. See, this was a standard way of keeping people filled. You gave them the best when it mattered most, but as they were drinking the wine throughout the week, then that was gone. The stuff that cost less was watered down a bit. And that would have come at the end. And the master of ceremonies is shocked because this would have been seen as a very honorable thing to provide such choice wine when it didn't matter as much. But see, this is not the real power of this moment. I need you to know this. This is not the real power of this moment. What is most important about this moment is that the groom would have had no knowledge of the fact that he miscalculated and the party had run out of wine. You know, it says that the master of ceremonies didn't even know this. And he assumed that the wine that was being provided was provided for the groom, that it was there all along and the groom was waiting to serve the best wine last. So at this moment, the master of ceremonies has no clue that Jesus performed a miracle. The groom is being told how amazing he is for saving the best wine for last, which would have been news to him. And yet he accepts the praise like it was him who provided it, knowing that he wasn't the one that provided the best wine in that moment. Yet he still accepts the praise like it was, in fact, him that provided it. Now, I was wondering, have you ever had one of those moments? where someone thought that you did something that you didn't do, and then they start heaping praise on you for doing such a great job at this thing that you know you didn't do, and you just accept it, right? Like, yeah, I totally did that. No, of course you don't. You, you, you probably haven't done that because you're an honest person, right? You wouldn't accept things like that because you're honest. This feels like a weird situation. The groom is like, yeah, best wine? I totally saved that for now, of course. And the thing that I want you to notice is that Jesus is content to allow the praise for his miracle to land on the groom. See, the wine itself was certainly miraculous. Jesus took water and made it wine. Certainly, this is a moment of Jesus showing his power over the material war, but the encounter goes deeper than water and wine. It's less about a direct moment of engagement of turning water into wine and more about the, the way that Jesus will often work behind the scenes of your life to provide the things needed for you to have the richness and fullness of his goodness present with you. See, in this moment, Jesus sees a problem. There's no more wine. But it was more than just the problem of wine. It was the problem of this new young couple's reputation and honor. And he chooses in that moment to care about the seemingly small matter at hand for the sake of this couple. But also to show people something really important about himself. That Jesus takes an interest in you as a person. 
Jesus knows you. And what matters to you matters to him. Your family, your work, your neighborhood. Jesus sees those places of your life and he longs to have an imprint on all of it. And I wonder if at times we believe that the little things in our lives probably won't matter to Jesus so we never bring them to him. The running out of wine would have brought shame to the groom, but he wouldn't have been killed or cast out of the city for this. In the grand scheme of life, this wasn't necessarily a huge deal. It would have certainly felt bad in the moment, but more than likely, everyone would have been okay and moved on with life. And I think sometimes we believe that the seemingly ordinary moments that mean a lot to us, but in the grand scheme of the condition of the world shouldn't be things that we worry about bringing to Jesus. Like, there are bigger things in the world than the AC not working in our cars, right? (laughs) And yes, of course there are. There are much bigger problems than that. But it doesn't mean God doesn't want to hear about those things that matter to you. I think sometimes we make Jesus too small to engage in the seemingly ordinary moments of all of our lives. And so those things go unspoken before him. But what if we learned from the example of Mary in this story and brought all of ourselves to Jesus? You know, if you're struggling at work with a friendship, with a move, with fitness, with anger, whatever. What if we brought it to Jesus? Because we believe that it matters to him. And then we see what he does with it. See, again, the issue wasn't just running out of wine in this story. This story is also about the way in which Jesus was concerned about the honor of the groom and bride. And so, again, most scholars talk about the seven miracles in the Gospel of John as being these moments of Jesus revealing his glory to the world so that through those miracles, people would believe that he was who he said he was. But in this moment, no one other than the disciples, Mary and the servers, ever found out about the miracle. Did you notice about this, that about the story? The master of ceremonies, the bride, the groom, the guests, no one knows that Jesus has done anything. And Jesus was content to allow the miracle to go unnoticed by basically everyone and for the credit and praise to land on the groom rather than himself. And we've said this a lot at Missio. That Jesus came to earth, made himself nothing, to lift humanity up. It's that Philippians 2 passage that says that Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, submitting even to death on a cross, and the point of which was to take you and I from where we are and to hold us up so that we can be in the presence of God. There are moments when Jesus is working behind the scenes of your life to provide opportunities for you to experience his goodness and his presence, even if you don't realize it's him doing so. You know, I wonder if, if as Jesus was going about his ministry and he was ga- gaining fame among the people in Israel and doing all other sorts of miraculous things like feeding the 5,000 or walking on water and those stories were becoming known among the people. Did, did the bride and the groom of this wedding hear about these stories maybe years after they happened and think, wait a minute, this was the same Jesus that was at our wedding. 
And I just imagine that moment the groom remembers, oh yeah, I remember this weird, awkward moment where this master of ceremonies came up and he said something that didn't make sense until right now. He told me how amazing it was that I saved the best wine for last. Even though I know that I didn't do that, I wanted to, I didn't want to be seen as someone who didn't provide for people. And so in the moment, I accepted this praise. And I wonder if maybe Jesus had something to do with that. Maybe Jesus had something to do with that. You know, I can think of moments when people came into my life or my family's life. And looking back on the situation, it causes me to wonder. Did Jesus have anything to do with with that. When we moved to Seattle, I didn't want to live in the Howard Lake neighborhood. I wanted to live closer in downtown Seattle, but was it Jesus that helped us get a house diagonal from Alex and Kendall Kyes? Was it Jesus who brought us randomly to an Easter block party event in a neighborhood nearby where we would meet Mike and Megan Dutris? Was it Jesus who had us stumble across the CrossFit Amped as they were opening up where we began to work out and eventually I would coach there, but I would meet people like, like uh, Nathan and Megan McDonald or, or so many people who have become a part of Missy or a part of our lives. How many moments of our lives is Jesus behind the scenes working to bring about something important, something good? And, you know, it doesn't always manifest itself in a miraculous change of water to wine. Rather, often it is Jesus working to bring his goodness into reality on our behalf. Remember, Jesus' goodness is his redemption, his salvation, his love, his forgiveness, his joy, his way, his peace. The way of Jesus that we looked at in our last series. Sometimes the encounter we have with Jesus is one we are unaware of because Jesus is doing something that we can't quite see in the moment, but is incredibly important for where we're going. But I do want you to notice that there were people that saw Jesus' encounter in this story. His mom, his disciples, the servers, they saw it. And certainly that had an impact on them from that point forward. See, one of the reasons we encounter Jesus together in communities like this, like Missio, is because sometimes we are able to see Jesus' movement in others when they can't see it. And part of our role as a community of faith is when we do see Jesus' work in others, We do two things. We remind that person or those people, look. Look at what Jesus is doing in you. Isn't that beautiful? And then second, we allow it to shape us and our understanding of what is happening around us. That maybe Jesus is more active in our lives than we are able to see ourselves in the moment. You know, I love this story of the wedding at Cana. This is an incredible encounter between Jesus and a whole host of people. It's a beautiful picture of how Jesus is constantly at work in our lives. Sometimes we notice it, and sometimes we won't. But the moral of this story is that he's always there. He's always there at work in your life. Thank you for being a part of Miss You, and thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you have a wonderful week. Bye, everyone.